Jaspreet Bopperai and Don Nicholson with Greenwashed on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Listeners, welcome back to Reality Check Radio, Greenwashed with John, Don and Jaspreet. And in concert with some recent interviews, we decided we needed to continue uh, down one pathway, and that is specifically around coastal um, and management and sea level rise and the assertion that we've got to plan for the worst because um, it's just vital. All the models tell us so. So a couple of days ago, um, Jasper and I came upon a submission by Peter Foster, who has a degree in a master's degree in um, chemistry, bachelor's degree in chemistry um, and sciences. <laughs> Sorry, got that wrong, Peter. But he gave a submission in 2015 to the Otago Regional Council, in addition to the Dunedin City Council, and he's done more recent stuff with the Dunedin City Council. And, you know, clearly he has um, done his research. Um, aside from having a history in um, teaching, and I've admitted all that as well, um, he's he's travelled to Antarctica, he's observed a lot of stuff in his life, uh, travelled the world, he's a small deer farmer from um, um, sort of North Otago, you might say, and he's obviously analysed a lot of stuff in his life. And so when I read this submission, I thought, man, that's intense. We've got to get this guy on. So, Peter, welcome to RCR Greenwashed. And we'll we'll open with this. You wrote on your first page that um, the Otago Regional Council had ignored um, the credentials and submissions of, of some pretty key people, but they took notice in the past of, for instance, Dr. Renwick, Dr. Wright, uh, uh, Dr. Wright, that's Jan Wright, and Pro- Professor P- Peter Gluckman, but ignored the 600-odd technical papers of Nils Morner, Professor Willem DeLong, who we had on last week, Longy, and Professor Bob Carter, who's well-known to us. So what do you think's going on there where very technical people and their and their output is ignored by um the the administrators of these sort of policies in New Zealand. And welcome to Greenwashed anyway. Good oh, to have you on. <laughs> well I I think it's a case of the councillors and councils being overawed by the ministry and those sort of authoritative bodies and unwilling to look at any evidence outside of what those bodies present to them. So um, the the councils are all based on the climate models, and the climate models are all uh, based on a scenario called RCP 8.5, which Willem discussed with you um, previously. Now, those climate models, they are... They are very, um, they don't represent reality. They're an attempt by scientists to make a climate model in which they model all the factors and come out with some outcomes. At the moment, they are not in any stage fit to, to project the future. And in fact, what factors they have come out with for future are simply not reflected in reality. So, there is a disconnect between actual data as it's measured on Earth and the, what the climate models predict. On the other hand, we have the actual data of the tide gauges, 
Uh, and the tide gauges are our best gauge as to what's happening locally. Now, a tide gauge measures both the sea level rise and the subsidence or uplift of the land. So if we take Dunedin, for example, Dunedin has a, a sea level rise on its gauge of 1.36 millimetres a year. Half of that, about 0.7 millimetres of that, is due to subsidence. So the land is dropping down. So consequently, the sea level is rising up. And the other half is, is due to the sea level rise itself. Now, we can, we can look at the tide gauge record over 150 years, and we can see that it rises and falls on a 50-year cycle. And so uh, what you've got to do is draw a line through the middle of that rise and fall to get your average sea level rise. If you, what the sea level project people have done is two things. The first is they have started off taking their, their mean line through the middle of the ups and downs, but then they run it through the top end, which currently it's approaching the crest of that cyclic movement. So when you do that, of course, then you claim that you've got an acceleration, which you haven't if you take the full cycles into account. The second thing that the Sea Rays Rise Project does is it uses the eustatic sea level, the global sea level uh, rise uh, of the central oceans, if you like. Now, that, that they measure from satellites. And the, the, uh, there's a problem with the satellite measurement of sea level, and that is this, that all around the world, all the tide gauges show an average after uh, subsidence or uplift has been removed. They show an average of one, about one and a half millimetres a year sea level rise. The satellites come out with a measurement of 3.2 or 3.3 millimetres a year. So how can the middle of the oceans be rising at 3.2 millimetres a year, but none of this is ever reflected against the coastlines? Now, water tends to level itself out. Unless you believe it humps in the middle, then something is wrong. One of those measurements is wrong. And I'll put my money on the one which is where my feet get wet, which is where the tide gauges are. Now, a, a, um, a NASA scientist uh, who's now who's deceased, uh, Tom Weismuller, did an analysis of the satellite project and came to the conclusion that they had made an arithmetic error. They had added two things together, but not divided by two. Hmm. And that that would be supported because there's another satellite which measures sea levels, which I think is no longer operational, but it was for about 20 years. And that was the European Envirosat satellite. Now, the Envirosat satellite was about 480 kilometres above the surface of the Earth. And it was very, very accurate. It was accurate to sub-millimetre levels. Now, that's quite an act because you've got to balance the difference of waves and all other things and avoid islands and ships and all that sort of thing. But theirs was very accurate. And it showed a sea level rise of, uh, from memory, something like about 0.32 millimetres a year. 
and so you compare that with the American Topics. Now, the, the, the start with Topics has had three, I think now four, satellites measuring sea levels. There was a Topics, and it was followed by Jason 1, Jason 2, and Poseidon, I think the other last one is. But those satellites in their initial analyses showed a sea level rise of about a millimetre a year. But where do they get the 3.2? Well, they manipulate the data and they think the ocean bottoms have increased in size and therefore if the ocean bottoms didn't increase in size, then the sea level would be higher, wouldn't it? So they start doing all these sort of calculations and come out with a 3.2 or 3.3. But that is utterly meaningless. But to come back to the Sea Rise project, they use this. And what they do, for the sake of like of Dunedin, they take uh, the subsidence of 0.7 millimetres and they then add to that the static sea level rise, 3.3 millimetres, say. So we get four millimetres a year, according to the Sea Rise. But that ignores the fact that the, that the Targo tide gauge already takes into account sea level rise and the subsidence and it's only showing 1.3 so they come out with a 1.36 so they come out with a, 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 a sea level rise which is three times the actual sea level rise so when local bodies start taking that sort of rubbish into account then they get it wrong the scientific <laughs> Sorry, and, and so how you know they get it wrong, and it, it's a significant cost to ratepayers and taxpayers when they get these policies wrong. But it does feed oh, into yes. a whole lot of um, a whole lot more modelling, and a whole lot more engineers, and a whole lot more consultants, and a, a whole lot more of everything. So it sort of stimulates a certain certain sectors, but at significant cost. Um, how long? You know, why have we allowed this stuff, or why do? It's probably a tall, bit of a long question or a tall question to ask. How is it that people that are really intelligent people can continue living this sort of stuff uh, and put their point of view across um, when they know it's dishonest? They must know it's dishonestly founded. The stuff, yeah, the, the, yeah, the so stuff when they when they over accentuate. <coughs> I mean, when they when they over accentuate. Um, uh, the numbers. Well, I think a lot of it, is, it comes down to groupthink. Among the scientists aligned to the IPCC and the, the bureaucrats who want to improve their jobs, I suppose, um, there is a, a ready acceptance of this. And the attitude uh, is that anyone who says something different is clearly wrong. They're off their trolley. And this is the danger of the the climate, uh, the, the cancel culture, which we have today in the, the woke culture, that people are afraid of speaking out if they could be labelled something like a climate denier or a racist or whatever. You know, we have so much facets in our society today where people's opinions are put down mm. uh, and not listened to. And I have had discussions with certain editors at the Targo Daily Times who uh, would not even consider the points I was making. I, I was a denier and anything I said was wrong. And it didn't matter how much evidence was presented, they weren't, weren't interested. Yeah. And that's that's what you're fighting against. That That is what you're fighting against. And, you know, that's why we are 
we are sort of Don and I do this show, as do many others, trying to raise awareness. But I don't think we did uh, justice to your work with that you presented to in the uh, submission to the Otago Regional Council, Peter, in 2015. We called it a submission, but it was 111 pages. I have read books. <laughs> I've read books which are shorter than that. Now, the, please, please tell me. And I'm I'm curious because you mentioned to Don and me at the beginning, just before we went uh, live here, that you have recently also gone to the Dunedin Council. But what sort of response did you get to this 111-page tome in 2015 from the Otago Regional Council? What reaction did you get? Did they well, question I, you? I, yeah, yes, I did. I, I made a presentation mm-hmm. and they listened very politely and I can't remember whether they asked any questions or not, but um, when I finished it was, um, you know, I mean, of those those hundred and whatever fifteen pages, uh, much of that was in the report from from uh, uh, Carter and uh, Galangi and and yeah. and uh, more Axel Mortar. Uh, that was there, but their 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 report was very very appropriate uh, because uh, it was about coastal towns on New South Wales, but. Exactly the same criteria apply as here, and they don't they don't really follow up, do they? You don't get no, no. That I doubt they, they even if it I is you know a criticism. Read. Yeah, even if it's actually getting back to you and saying, right, we don't agree with point this, 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 and we found holes and this, 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 and that's why we don't agree with your conclusions. I don't think you will really get a response that's reflective of the amount of effort that's gone into putting in a 111-page submission, Peter. No. Oh, no. No. And uh, how many people actually read it, I wouldn't have a clue. Probably very few. So just going back to um, (laughs) trying to understand uh, for our listeners why CO2, uh, which is – yeah, they use CO2 and they they use representation concentration pathways now, uh, an additional concept called um, shared socio-economic pathways. Um, and um, But they use CO2 as the basis for that, and it then links into sea level rise. How can that be? I mean, it's, it's a pretty basic question, I know, and I know the answer, but um, can you explain it perhaps clearly to, to listeners why there's any well, relevance in that? The, the relevance comes because they're, Climate models are predicated on CO2. Mm. And if this climate models give a temperature rise, then that temperature rise will lead to more melting ice. It will lead to thermal expansion of the ocean. And and there you get your effect. Mm. The problem is that there is actually no evidence whatsoever that carbon dioxide drives climate. We go right back to 1995, and the scientists who were, wrote the second assessment report for the IPCC, and they also wrote the draft for the summary for policymakers. Now, the science report is written by the scientists, but the summary for policymakers is a political document. And so they wrote, they write a draft for the for the governments to consider. Yeah, for the summary for policymakers, the UN gets all 194 countries together and they go through the draft line by line and they all have to agree. So they've all got ownership of the report. 
and it gets changed by political considerations. However, in this case, before it went to those nations, the report had about 15 statements, things like um, there was no evidence uh, that CO2 was having any effect on climate, that if it was having an effect, we don't know enough about natural climate variation to tell the difference, and so on. There are about 15 statements of that along that ilk. They all got deleted from the draft by the leading uh, author of the time, a guy, Ben Santa. Uh, and he replaced those with one statement saying that uh, there was a discernible effect from CO2 on climate. And that was the beginning of the, the end, if you like. <laughs> yeah. I, I know. And Don, you know, we've often spoken about bigger consultants and those involved in many of these reports. Now, I looked up Dunedin and Otago Regional Council. They commissioned reports from Golder, G-O-L-D-E-R, Golder Associates, these guys, uh, to for mitigation for Dunedin when sea levels yes. rise. And according to some experts, by 2035, Dunedin, parts of it will be underwater. And their report, the Golder Associates, the report, they take case studies from New Orleans, from Holland and others. And I just Googled Golder and guess what? It's been purchased by WSP. So another of these uh, modeling companies, another one of these, you know, so-called expert advisees has been purchased by one of the world's biggest consultants, WSP, a Canadian firm that's pretty much omnipresent across all parts of New Zealand. It's yes. amazing how yeah. that happened. And then that's again, like you were talking about UN, that's again consensus building because you have all these smaller companies being bought out, taken over. Yes, and all with the same philosophy to, yep. to push. But by pushing this uh, view that climate change is a disaster for the world, they are ensuring that they get more employment, aren't they? Totally. And they say in their, you know, in their limitations of their report, there is no warranty included and any opinion expressed or implied that will exactly conform to the assessments con uh, contained in this document. This sort of paper yeah. is not worth, you know, anything. But yet no. we are making significant decisions about people's lives, their lifestyles, everything based on these. Well, that's right. Well, you're just coming back to your link between carbon dioxide and, and sea level rise. Mm -hmm. I've had an interesting email exchange with James Rennick over the last uh, four or five months. And I started off by saying to him, now, if carbon dioxide was driving climate change, as we're told, mm -hmm. then we should see carbon dioxide rising ahead of any climate warming, and we should see it falling ahead of any cooling. But if we go back in history, nowhere in the last 600 million years has carbon dioxide ever preceded a change in climate. And James Rennick wrote back and said, well, it could. And I wrote back <laughs> and said, well, it doesn't matter if it could. It hasn't. Can you give me an example? And he couldn't. And then he said, oh, but there are a whole lot of other factors that drive climate. Yes. I said, yes, we know that. But you're okay. blaming carbon dioxide. Mm. And then... I said to him, uh, now it's been shown that the heat transfer, because we've now got these Argo boys that float around the ocean, there's about 4,000 of them, and every 10 days they pop down to two kilometres and gradually rise up, measure the, the temperature and the salinity and, and everything on the way up. 
and they radio that to a base and then and carry on for go park themselves kilometre down for 10 days. So we have a lot of information now that we never had before. And what becomes apparent out of that information and our uh, satellite monitoring of sea surface temperature and the like is that the, the flow of heat goes from the sea surface. It warms first. And that's because it's warmed by the sun whenever there's not much cloud around. So the temperature goes from the sea surface to the atmosphere, and that takes about two months. And it goes to the deeper oceans, and that takes, I think, about 11 months. And so that, that, that I said, to her, how can, how can, if we got that heat flow, how can uh, the, the, the carbon dioxide be the culprit? Because yeah. carbon dioxide warms the atmosphere, not, not the sea surface. So Dr. Rennick writes back and he says, oh, it's back radiation from the atmosphere that warms the ocean. So through uh, Dr. Tom Sheehan and a colleague of his, um, Dr. Cork Hayden, who's the expert in this field, so I sent this response. And they wrote back and said, well, the photon path length, that's the, the distance that a photon of infrared travels uh, before it hits a molecule, like carbon dioxide. So if we take the, the wavelength of carbon dioxide, radiates, is only 20 centimetres. And I said, what about for water and methane? And he said, well, for methane, uh, a, a photon at 7.65 levels 250 metres before, on average, it hits a methane. And what about water? Oh, well, in the tropics, it'll be a millimetre or less. In our latitude, about four millimetres. <laughs> so all the radiation coming off the Earth is absorbed by water within a few millimetres of the ground or the sea or whatever. And But it has to go 250 metres to hit a methane or 20 centimetres to hit a carbon dioxide. So that means that, that only molecules radiating in the atmosphere less than a few millimetres off the surface of the sea and possibly warm the sea. Mm. So the back radiation is a nonsense. So, um, you know, that's just a, another another plank in the, the thing that shows that carbon dioxide is not the driver of climate change. There are a whole lot more, but we... <laughs> and, and it is almost like don't we don't even begin from that. It's almost an assumption that this is a given... Every time you hear these discussions, be it on whatever forum, government, or you know, even chatting with someone, or a, suddenly yet another retailer popping up something, we are offsetting. I mean, I have how many times has it happened to me? I purchased something online, I'm popping it in yeah. my shopping cart, I'm about to check out, and it says carbon neutral packaging, and there I am, done out. Yeah. I'm not buying that anymore. Of <laughs> course, it, it and it's it saved me money plenty of time, but that, that's a level of stupidity we've come to because. No one questions the very basic premise. It's like, you know, the Pied oh, Piper. That's right. That's right. Uh, but how you see, the IPCC's mandate is to show that humans cause warming. Hmm. And just it's humans. Not, their, their, their mandate is not to investigate the causes of climate change. Their mandate is to show 
that that humans cause human activity causes climate change. So they ignore all the evidence to the contrary. And there are about 500 papers published a year which contradict the claims of the IPCC, but they're totally ignored. And in particular, there's a huge body of research on the on the role of um, uh, of the sun and of galactic cosmic rays, which is just not even mentioned. Okay, they write it off saying the variation in solar activity is only about 0.1, so therefore it can't amount to much. So how do these expert reviewers at the um, IPCC reporting mechanisms, um, how do they get so uh, um, perhaps their output is a little skewed away from what you're talking about? Uh, Even though we know expert reviewers, you and I know people who have been expert reviewers, we know what they've put in, but their, their input has been discounted or disregarded. So... How is it that these people on effectively what I would say is the other side of the ledger, the people that want to um, keep the um, uh, mythology going, uh, get all the airtime? How is it that they get all the airtime and real decent people and people that want honesty and integrity and sciences um, seem to get dismissed, banished? Well, I think it's a, a case of something dramatic sells newspapers. And... Yeah. Uh, they're not interested in hey ho hum. It's uh, nothing wrong with the world. Just carry on. Mm. They're quite happy to scare the hell out of children, make them think they got no future. They I are. mean, the, the classic example of that is the refusal, is the, this climate emergency, the refusal to look at the actual data, which shows no climate emergency. But people have been sucked into this, and and they will spout it off as if it was real, but they've never ever looked at the actual data yeah so it's a, it's interesting we show we call this show greenwashed and when we first started this i was a bit concerned actually with the name greenwashed because i didn't see enough um of the sort of greenwashing opportunity that uh other people were seeing except for climate change and to be fair our program is significantly dominated by discussion on climate change. Um, yes, and I'm, I'm sure our producers tear their hair out because we're constantly on this thing. But it is the, it is the ultimate, ultimate greenwashing that's occurring all around the world today. It is just all pervasive. It's in everything we do. And how did it get to be so all pervasive? I'm damned if I know. Done money. Oh, well, you know, I just noticed yesterday or this morning was it that Westpac Bank has decided they're only going to lend money to farmers who can show they're going to reduce methane by 9% yeah. or something or other. In fact, there's no mechanism for doing that other than killing your animals. It's, it's a measure of the stupidity where we've got to. Well, and in fact, uh, we're going to get you back to talk about that because I know this is one of your hobby horses as well. And of course, um, recently I watched another webinar uh, with Dr. William Van Weingarten talking about um, the most uh, embellished uh, scenario he could make up for the effect of methane. And he was addressing some Irish farmers and and Irish organisations. And no matter how you do it, uh, you talk about it's all human-induced, it's all uh, in clear skies, it's not in almost, I'm not sure whether he said it was the mixed atmosphere, I think he did talk about that. But in the end, methane, uh, we're talking, listeners, thousandth 
or ten thousandth of a degree per century from the ruminant animals of New Zealand for its warming their warming effect. So we have been sold an absolute pup, and you've just bought into or you know bought into reading that paper that uh, all of a sudden Westpac's going to put these credentials on farmers, and so is Fonterra. They haven't a hope in hell of justifying this uh, unless they actually tell lies, and that's, right. that's the problem. And that's I would the put problem. nothing beyond them, but. Another thing I hope that listeners get to don uh, appreciate that you know when we began talking about this earlier this year, it's, it's the years winding down to a close. We were talking more about farming, and we talk about that most of the time. Don and I are both far in in farming, but it is now, as Peter's talking, it is now affecting the urban population, the mm. sea level rise, and the associated issues of managed retreat and everything else, and the cost for mitigation. It's going to be all going to be added to urban ratepayers' bills. This That's is right. no longer this greenwashing, this ultimate greenwashing. I like the word, Don, you used pathology. I'm going to start calling it climate mythology instead of, I still use those words for teaching kids Roman and Greek mythology. This climate mythology is coming home now for yes. our urban people as well. It is no longer just a rural issue. And that's probably the oh, biggest no, yeah, issue no, now. it's not. It's not, but the, the, you get this movement like you must eat less meat and that sort of thing, and, and that mm. itself will impact seriously on farming. But on the other side of the coin, there is a ray of hope that has appeared in the last year, I suppose, and that is uh, that in Europe and in England, they're suddenly discovering that the cost is far yeah. too high, yes. and they're having to call back on their policies and bit by bit uh, the Britain has now allowed uh, drilling for oil again in the, in the North Sea and uh, they're going back to some cases to coal uh, because they realise that, that our society is totally dependent on energy yep. and if you, have, if you have unreliable means of energy like wind and solar uh, it doesn't cut the mix and you're going to run out no. And they know that there will be a huge public backlash when the power gets turned off. Exactly. And they're how starting of, to understand that. Very how many of us learners, but, will hmm. do, you know, are happy to change their lifestyles? The Guardian oh, right. recently carried a, an article stating that, and I'll quote, about 2 million UK households have been forced to turn off their fridge or freezer to save money as they continue to struggle with what poverty campaigners call a frightening level of hardship. I call yes. it a very deliberate decimation of, you know, they, people's they lives, a, earnings. This is being done deliberately. And uh, how yes. Well, uh, I think, I mean, Germany is uh, losing its industry at a very, very high rate at the moment. Mm. And that's going to affect the whole of Germany because that's their income. That's the livelihood of the people that is being destroyed because these companies can no longer compete internationally. Uh, by Germany, and of course China is the winner in all of that aspect. But I just want to come back to um, something we are talking about before with the sea level rise. And I presented the DCC with a graph of uh, sea level rises from around New Zealand. And they are all absolutely linear mm. at this about one and a half millimetres a year increase. And all of New Zealand, sea level, in fact, all around the world, sea level rise is linear. 
straight line. And on top of that graph, I drew a graph of carbon dioxide rising. Now, the carbon dioxide sort of goes up slightly until about 1950, and then it turns and goes up sharply. Uh, so it, it reaches for the sky while the sea level rise just trickles along at its little level down below. Yeah. And one has to ask the question, if carbon dioxide is responsible for for warming and for sea level rise, then why has there been no response from sea level in 70 years? <laughs> yeah. One would expect, looking at that comparison of those two graphs, one would expect to have seen the sea level start to edge upwards, uh, you know, after the 1950s. And yeah. here we are in 2020, and it's still trucking along mm. at the same level straight line that it has for the last 100 years yep. and the 100 years before that and the 100 years before that. So, look, that's a good um, good ending uh, spot, Peter. Um, interestingly, after ev- the guests we've had and you as well, there's a common theme. Please, listeners, um, if you're a ratepayer or a taxpayer, make sure you sit on your politician's neck or your local councillor's neck and say, stop this nonsense. You know, yep. I don't want to be responsible for saying the wrong thing, but clearly I can assimilate and assess what um, people with common sense are presenting. And the common sense says uh, there's not a lot. You, know, you do have to be mindful of your co- coastal management. There is um, reasons to to show concerns in some area, but nothing major required here. So just stop the nonsense. Stop putting the fear of the future into your ratepayers, the bills against your ratepayers and taxpayers, and lighten up a bit. But So, Peter, we'll, we'll draw this to a conclusion, but we do want to have you back to talk about not only the methane stuff that I know you're big on, um, but also your experiences in Antarctica, which I'm sure uh, were a highlight in your, your earlier oh, yeah. years in life. Hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so, so great having you on RCR Greenwash today, and uh, we'll see you soon. My pleasure. Thanks, Peter. Jasprit Bopperai and Don Nicholson with Greenwash on RCR Reality Check Radio.